tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to BAM's radio on this Thursday night edition after the July 4th holiday. I'm your host, Rudy Armand, uh, along with, of course, the producer extraordinaire and my partner, Thomas Watts. And we will be joined by our third amigo uh, shortly in this hour, William Redfish Barger, about 20 after. Uh, in about 20 minutes, he'll join us. And uh, gotta, we're going to be talking a lot of the opening out in Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, we are scheduled to be joined at about 7.30 by Chris Kirchner of the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution's SEC country. He has been in Beaverton, Oregon for the last couple of days covering it. A lot of Alabama prospects, seven commitments uh, taking part in this event, uh, about 15 other targets, and a lot of them doing a, many good things and impressing lots of people, not surprisingly, with what Nick Saban has been doing. He and the coaching staff putting together one outstanding recruiting class after another. And uh, it should be a, a fun-filled show. William is going to be with us a little uh, longer tonight into hour number two. Well, he'll have some excellent team insight, as only he can get, being uh, as connected as he is to the Alabama football program. So we'll have, have a lot to talk about. And SEC Media Days, football's almost upon us. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, really exciting. Going to be headed to the Winfrey Hotel. I'll be there with 97.7 The Zone. Uh, from Monday through Thursday. Nick Saban will be there uh, on uh, leading off the program on Wednesday. Uh, so it should be a uh, exciting time. And, Thomas, uh, it's hard to believe about a month away from fall camp. I know. I was just – as I was putting the show together earlier today, I realized that SEC Media Days is next week. And to me, that's really the unofficial start of college football season. I mean, I admit it. I'm biased. But uh, I'm okay with that. Huh. So I- I'm really yeah. excited about it. I'm hoping that uh, there will be there will be a little bit of fire. You know, I'm really interested to hear from some of the players that Alabama's bringing, and to hear particularly about like the chemistry of the team. That's always something that I pay attention to. You know, going into fall camp, and if uh, if it's there, I'm going to feel really good about this team going in. I still feel pretty good about Alabama. Don't get me wrong. It's just that if players are willing to openly talk about, you know, they're gelling, da 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 da. I think that's a good sign because it's not like Alabama is going to have an opening month that's a snore with both USC, even though I think Alabama will roll USC, and then going to Oxford in week three. You know, they're going to have to hit the ground running. Yeah, they are. And 
uh, you know, Ole Miss is uh, being uh, they 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 believe they've arrived and they will have a huge opener as well in Orlando, taking on the Florida State Seminoles. Who Florida State, many people the, have. They're going to beat the crap out of Ole Miss. Is going to get their heads kicked <laughs> in by Florida State. That that well, you know, is nasty. Uh, you know, I, I don't like uh, Ole Miss's chances in that game, especially having to play them uh, right out the shoot. Uh, I think Ole Miss, you know, could start two and two, one and three. Uh, I'm not not on the Ole Miss train. I, I'm not sure they can continue to to build on this success. I know some of them believe they own Alabama now, and uh, I heard a ridiculous phone call on the uh, Fine Bomb show this week that. Uh, one, uh, I think he was from Oklahoma, but I guess he was an all Rebel fan because he, he he made the ridiculous statement that Hugh Freeze is a better coach than Nick Saban in his mind. No question about it. That after what he'd built at Ole Miss and and uh, beating Nick Saban two years in a row, but my whole retort to that was, where are your rings? Nowhere. You've still never even played in the SEC championship game ever. Uh, and uh, the last national championship you won was in the 60s. And the biggest thing to me is it, well, if you, if uh, you think Hugh Freeze owns Nick Saban, does Brett Bielema own Hugh Freeze? Yeah, I'm not even going to countenance that. I'm sorry. the uh, The Hugh Freeze build has been has undergone a four year colonoscopy, and it's not like <laughs> that's said, what the guy said exactly. You know, and it's not like the uh, said colonoscopy has ended because Laramie Tunsil absolutely deep throated his foot with doing what he did draft night. <laughs> So, oh yeah, I, I sure if you want to think that, then uh, you think that, and uh, you will be wrong, and I will not care. That's kind of my retort to that because that's just that's fans talking noise to air. But you know, rock on, guys. <laughs> Football season's almost here, so some of this bluster will go to the wayside as you know they actually strap them up. So here's hoping. Well, they they will, Thomas. And what's so funny? I had a text message from a buddy who was in Oxford today. And they're convinced that all these troubles is the result of Alabama turning them in, and and uh, because they get they uh, they've lost they you know the tide has lost to the Rebels two years in a row, and the only reason they're having any problems is because Alabama's jealous of their success and and is uh you know whining to the NCAA. Well, you know I, I got news, uh, Alabama. Nick Saban's gone undefeated one time in his nine years at Alabama. That was 2009, the first championship year. Uh, yes, th- th- we've dropped games uh, to Ole Miss before at uh, the last couple of seasons. Alabama has, and they've dropped games to LSU in the past, but they don't let it define their season. And I think that's what's uh, the, the, in the difference between Alabama and Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss is satisfied when they beat Alabama. Hence, you watch them throw up on themselves and lose to the Memphis Tigers, uh, which that is ridiculous. That's a pathetic coaching job. You, uh, you lose to the Arkansas Razorbacks, who Alabama uh, has hammered nine years in a row. And then you uh, and and then you and you and you blow another game uh, and Florida Gators because you come in thinking you're uh, the best team in America and you get blown out thirty five to or thirty eight to ten I think was the final score there somewhere around there so I just all I know is Ole Miss has, has improved their program however they've done it I think we really know how it's been done but regardless they haven't been able to handle success and now they're uh, expected to be good for a third year in a row but with the talent they've lost. I don't see them uh, being a contender in the SEC this year. Right. And, you know, we can, we'll go deeper into Ole Miss as, uh, as we get closer to that game. But uh, Chad Kelly is an excellent quarterback. I think he is at worst top two in the SEC. And to Ole Miss's credit, they have some solid wide receivers. But 
Laquan Treadwell was the absolute truth, and he caused oh. so he, yeah, I mean, he deserved all the accolades he got. So, who's going to draw the 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 shied safety? You know, who's going is who's going who's going to make it so that an, an Ole Miss receiver ha- can win a one on one consistently? You know that we don't know that, and the to say the Ole Miss's offensive line is in uh, flux would be fair. They're right. Gonna be, so it's it's just I don't see it. Maybe they'll show something against FSU. I personally think FSU is going to be in the college football playoff. You know, spoiler alert. I think that team is that good. I think they're going to their defense is going to look a lot like what Alabama's was last year, except that Florida State plays the cream puffs and Clemson in the ACC. So they'll probably right. stomp that league, except for Clemson. The Clemson game is going to be fantastic. But right now, you know. I, th- I think Ole Miss is coming in. They're going to hit a buzz. They're going to have two early buzz saws because Alabama is going to be in the playoff hunt. I-, I I don't buy into this quarterback stuff. That's one of the great things. I I really want to hear. I hope that the uh, the media folks at SEC Media Days try and pin down OJ Howard or uh, Jonathan Allen or Eddie Jackson, the three Bama representatives, to see what they think about the quarterback because. Uh, that that's one of those pots that you just you got to keep stirring because everybody's curious if you ask me <laughs> well i mean i think everybody is and speaking of all that and uh, the representatives i know you have the list for the listeners uh of who is going to be representing uh each team in sec media days real quickly you know we're going to have william barger in about 10 minutes could you go over that for everyone and let everybody know who we'll be hearing from uh in hoover starting on monday Absolutely. Uh, looking at this list, uh, Alabama, like I said, is going to have Jonathan Allen, O.J. Howard, and Eddie Jackson. Arkansas is bringing Brooks Ellis, Jeremy Sprinkle, and Dietrich Wise. If I slaughter a name, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> Auburn is bringing Montravius Adams, which when I heard that one, it kind of surprised me because Montravius Adams has been an underachiever pretty much his whole career. But neither here nor there to this. Uh, Marcus Davis, the senior wide receiver, and Carl Lawson, the one that's no surprise to anybody that's kept an eye on the floor, on the Auburn program. Excuse me. Florida's bringing Jared Davis, Marcus May, and uh, David Sharp. Georgia is bringing Jeb Blazevich, Brandon Kublinal, yeah, some Merce yelling at me for his bad pronunciation, I'm sure, and uh, Dominique Sanders. Kentucky's bringing JoJo Kemp, Courtney Love, and John Toth. LSU is bringing Leonard Fournette, Ethan Posick, and Tredavious White. Ole Miss is bringing Evan Ingram. I can't believe he's still in the program. Uh, DJ Jones and Chad Kelly. Mississippi State is bringing Richie Brown, A.J. Jefferson, and Fred Ross. Missouri is bringing Sean Culkin, Charles Harris, and Michael Scherer. Honk if you've heard of these guys before. (laughs) Um, South Carolina is bringing Marquavius Lewis, Debo Samuel. He might win the uh, all-name award for the SEC Media Days. Uh, and Mason Zondi. Tennessee mm-hmm. is bringing Josh Dobbs, Jalen Reeves-Mabin. Keep an eye on him. Um, Jalen Reeves-Mabin's a stud. And, uh, oh, yes. Agreed. And <laughs> I'm sure you get it a lot because you're in Huntsville, so you get that, that Tennessee fan overlap. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Wes Neighbors loves him, and, and Wes Neighbors, he doesn't know names, but he, he does it like when he played. So if he thinks somebody's good, he just remembers their number, and all he'll say is 21. 21 is very good, yep. and 21 is Jalen Reeves maybe. And he's He and Cam Sutton and, and Derek Barnett at Tennessee uh, and Vereen, they're very good. Yeah, Cameron Sutton's actually the third for Tennessee. Texas A&M is bringing Miles Garrett. Um, this is kind of a surprise because uh, the second guy Texas A&M is bringing is Trevor Knight, 
Yes, the quarterback. The quarterback, the transfer from Oklahoma that has come to A&M and won the job. He hasn't been there very long, but obviously he's made some form or fashion of an impression on the coaching staff. Or the coaching staff is just desperate to get out of this death spiral that they've been in for the past year and a half. But I digress. Uh, (laughs) And they're going to round out with Ricky Seals-Jones. Vanderbilt, another one of those honk if you've heard of these guys. Zach Cunningham and uh, Oren Burks, a couple of linebackers, and Ralph Webb going to be a whole lot of folks and there there's some big names on this list you know I, I was poking fun with Vanderbilt and Missouri and South Carolina but you know you look at you know the the LSUs or the Tennessees and you know I'll, I'll pull Alabama because it's, it's Alabama show <laughs> those are very recognizable names and I'll be interested to see what they have to say you know obviously hope will spring eternal in SEC media days you know you have you have to win the press conference whatever the hell you want to call it but you know, I'll just I'll be interested to see the Hope Springs Eternal version of this uh, this iteration of SEC Media Days, if you ask me. Absolutely, and and Thomas, we, we're going to have to kind of shake things up on the show tonight. Just got word from Chris Kirshner; he will be joining us, but it will be at eight thirty. Oh. Uh, he's down there in Oregon. He he has run into uh, he has to get something taken care of. Uh, and of course, the, they don't, they and they have uh, uh, controlled media access there. So he is going to join us, but it will be an hour number two. We are going to be joined by William Redfish Barger in the second part of this hour, and we'll we'll move up our team notes segment on that. But uh, if we could, Thomas, is that audio we have ready uh, for the uh, for our newest newest baseball commit, Noah Fondren? Yes, I was able to work with it as the show ginned up. Absolutely. Well. We're gonna. We, I wanted to talk about that a little bit first. Sure. Uh, Greg, Greg Goff, we had him on the program. Everyone, we replayed that uh, interview from 97.7 The Zone. He has been trying to put together his on-field staff. Looks as though he now has that done. For those of you that may not have heard, he is bringing Jake Wells uh, to work with the catchers. He's the recruiting coordinator, likely now to be the hitting coach because Sean Allen, who had been thought to be the hitting coach and assistant head coach and work with the infielders, he uh, went decided to go with his head coach, David Pierce, to the University of uh, to the University of Texas, and uh, he did he did that he he went to Texas and uh, was and uh, is now going to be a Longhorn. Uh, but uh, we uh, he uh, in uh, since that happened, uh, Coach Golf had to kind of regroup, but he's really done a nice job and gone and garnered a lot of national acclaim, especially from D1 baseballs, Kendall Rogers. But he just made a hire, hiring the eight-year head coach Terry Rooney from the uh, Central Florida Knights, who had been the head coach there. He was a little bit on the hot seat. His last two years hadn't been as good as his first six, but still did a very nice job there. And they were a regional team uh, on, uh, on several occasions. But he's known as an outstanding recruiter. He's likely going to be the pitching coach now and assistant head coach at Alabama. He did that. He was, he used, he was in that role under Paul Maneri under two, in 2007 and 2008 when LSU went to the College World Series. So it's an outstanding hire, Thomas. And they've already been making an impact on the recruiting trail because we're going to have an interview here in, in uh, just a couple of minutes with Noah Fondren, the third baseman, an outstanding player from Russell, uh, excuse me, from Coleman, Alabama, who uh, his uh, coach Goff and his uh, staff and Jake Wells had uh, targeted to recruit. Uh, they have lost a couple of commits in the 2017 class, along with Tanner Burns flipping from uh, Alabama to Auburn from Decatur, Alabama. But Noah Fondren, his teammate, two of his other teammates, Owen Lovell and also a left-handed pitcher on their squad are committed to the Crimson Tide, and uh, he is now uh, committed as well. They have a loaded squad, won the 6A state championship last year, 
finished as runner-up to Hillcrest Tuscaloosa this year. And Jacob Heatherly is the left-handed pitcher. Three players from one squad under Brent Patterson, who's been a great friend of my pro uh, radio show, uh, Talking Ball, are now committed to the Tide in the 2017 class. So Coach Goff already making an impact, and we wanted to bring you that audio, Noah Fondren, as he's committed to Alabama. And that is Noah Fondren. Noah, how are you doing this morning, sir? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I know it's a busy time. Uh, you've been uh, a uh, you've been working hard this week. Uh, I guess for for the listeners that may not know, you know the the process you've been uh, un, you know been a part of. Let everybody know the event you've been taking a part of this week. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I went down to the University of Alabama on Monday morning and mm. visited the campus and uh, visited the facilities that. Uh, Alabama has now, and man, it's unreal. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> uh, I met with Coach Goff and Coach Wells, and Wells and Goff both showed me around and showed me everything that they had to offer, and it's it's truly amazing. And it, I couldn't stop smiling the whole time, and that's what I was looking for, and the college that I wanted to go play at. Yeah, and that, that had to be a thrill for you. Um, and for those of uh, uh, that may not have. Uh, been inside the stadium yet, or have uh, watched a game at the New Joe and have been uh, and been able to see the facilities? You've been able to kind of go behind the curtain. Uh, it looks to be one of the nicest in all of college baseball. But uh, you you touched on it uh, going on the visit uh, Monday with Coach Goff and Coach Jake Wells, who will be working with the catchers and be the recruiting coordinator. But uh, I know you had some. You would have probably was it your first time to see the facility up close. Yes, sir. It was. It was that I, I went to one game this year just to watch with a couple of my buddies, but that was right. the first time I got to go behind the scenes and look at everything, and it it was amazing. It blew my mind. And I, I knew. I know you. Since you'd watched the game, you you had been very impressed with what you saw. But did it? Uh, so did you. Uh, so it really sort even surpassed your expectations when you were able to see. I guess everything that. Uh, the, 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 uh, all the bells and whistles and everything they have for the student athletes. Oh yes, sir. Uh, you can tell that University of Alabama is ready to win some games by their facilities. That the fans are ready to see some wins, and I'm I'm ready to go uh, contribute to that. And it's they're amazing. It's uh, they went over the top to take care of their athletes, and it blew my mind. And people are people are going to love it. They're going to love it. And let me ask you a question about that. What, what I guess uh, for you being able to see it now and and, uh, and 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 everything they put into it and all the and and, and trying to uh, not all the amenities and and trying to and and taking ideas from throughout uh, the the uh, college baseball community, other stadiums, and and make sure that it was w- one of the best in the in America. What was your highlight of, of what you saw and of the stadium? What did, what did you what stood out to you the most? Uh, to me, it was probably <laughs> entertainment wise was probably the lounge room because you know you spend so much time putting in extra work and you know yeah. practicing and you play and then you always need a place to go relax and. I mean, sometimes the best place to relax is where you play. And so after long practice, hard game, you go in the lounge room, you've got beautiful couches, TVs, you get a beautiful pool table around the corner, you've got ping pong table and the little kitchen. You know, it's just everything you need. You don't even have to leave the field to go relax. I probably 
I'll probably spend some nights over in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt about that uh, you, you, because uh, that's what it's going to take. In this arms race of recruiting, uh, you know, it, you have to have uh, all the bells and whistles to attract great players and to put them in the best environment to win. It looks like Alabama. It took probably 10 years too long, but it looks like they've done that. It's one of the big reasons I'm sure Coach Goff has come in as head coach. But now that you've had a chance to kind of speak with him and speak to Coach Wells, first on Coach Goff, uh, what has been your impression of him thus far? My first impression is that he's ready to win. It, it doesn't matter where he's at, he's going to win. And, you know, Growing up in Coleman and playing at Coleman High School, we're kind of we kind of win a lot, and so <laughs> I'm I would I would love to keep doing that in college, and so that's what impressed me is that he's ready to win. He's gonna he's gonna put us to work to have the chance to win, and he he fully expects to get us down to Omaha, and that's exactly what I want to do. And you of course played for Brent Patterson in a very high profile program uh, with the Coleman Bearcats, uh, and I, how. And for the, and to let people know too, uh, in the 2017 class, you're verbally committed, but there's two more of your teammates who are great talents that are committed as well. Yes, sir. We've got uh, myself, Owen Lovell, and Jacob Heatherly. Jacob's a uh, left-handed pitcher, throws so about let's say 90 to maybe 93, and has great command of fastball and has a great uh, curveball he can throw at any count. He's got. Owen Lovell, who can uh, he can send a moonshot over the fence anytime he wants, and he's a great guy too. He, of all the things, that, like all the accolades he has, he's a great person to be around, and I can't wait to spend another four years, hopefully, with him at Alabama. And I know uh, with Owen uh, being a long-time commitment, Jacob as well. Uh, I, I know uh, if if you can if you can speak for them are they uh, are their plans right now to stay committed uh, to Coach Golf? Sir, ask him. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, with Owen Lovell and Jacob Hedley, they've been long time commitments to Alabama. Yes, uh, there has been like Tanner Burns. He's flipped to Auburn. Yes. Are, are your yes. two teammates uh, solidly committed to Alabama in your mind? Oh yes, yes they are. I think Owen. He loves everything about Alabama, and so does his family. And I think that I don't think a coaching change is going to affect his decision. I think I mean, we all met with him. He came, Coach Cross came down to Coleman mm. last week and met with uh, Owen, Jacob, and myself. That was the first time I got. We all got to meet him, and I think he was very impressed. And he's, I think he's going to stick with his decision, and so is Jacob Hurley. He, he loves the campus. He's he's pretty loyal to staff in Alabama, and I think that it's going to remain the same. And, uh, you know, I was uh, communicating with Rob Ketchum of the Coleman Times, who follows your program better than anyone. He's been a great friend of this show. And after you verbally committed, uh, we were just uh, speaking about you. He he speaks very highly of you as a player and and as a person. And he told me uh, this year, of course, uh, you played third base, but you you got a chance to hit behind Owen Lovell. And you hit 365 for one of the best teams in the state of Alabama. And of course, you guys played such a challenging schedule, uh, but only three strikeouts. And one of the one of the things Coach Goff that stuck in my head when he was at his press conference, and I was fortunate enough to be there, he, and uh, he sat down with the rest of the media again after uh, his his uh, the uh, spe- speaking uh, to everyone at the, at the PC, and, and talked about his philosophy of coaching. And he said, "I just hate strikeouts." 
I want guys that's going to put the ball in play. And that's you seem to be – your your style of baseball seems to fit him to a T, so to speak. Yes, sir. Uh, personally, I, my pet peeve is striking out. And if I can do anything to not, not strike out, I'm going to do it. Now, a lot of times it may not end up a gapper in the left or right center, but – you know, if you can just put the ball in play, roll a ground ball somewhere, you put you apply pressure to defense, you you make them make a play. Striking out, swinging through, or seeing a strike three, that doesn't put you apply pressure. You have to apply pressure every at bat. And, you know, you, you get runners on ahead of me, you can get Owen on and other people ahead of me. That If I can just roll a ground ball or do anything productive, then you can have a good outcome as opposed to striking out. Yeah, absolutely. And and talk about being a part of that Coleman program. Uh, this year, uh, you, you weren't able to finish the way you wanted to, losing in the finals to Hillcrest in a, in a really good series. Uh, but you guys had, played in such a tough area. We, we talked about it earlier in the program. Uh, probably the toughest in the state and maybe one of the toughest ever uh, with the Hartsell Tigers and then uh, with the Decatur Red Raiders. But just kind of talk about the journey your team went on this season. Still a remarkable season. Yes, sir. Uh, we faced an uphill battle basically from the start. We we started area play kind of early, and you know played the cater, and they swept us. And they were they were a great team and great great competition. And once we lost to that, lost to them, we were basically playing in the playoffs the rest of the season because you know we lose one more game in area, then we're out. Right. So we went down to Austin and we uh, swept them. It was really too close to call, and we almost got beat by them. So and then you go, you know, plays for a month, regular season games. Then we play Hartsville. Hartsville comes down to our place, and they get up. Was it four to nothing or something? And yeah. uh, you know, midway through the game, and you know, a lot of the fans you can tell are just thinking, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen?" And I think our team just kind of, as much pressure as we had on us, we just had to set aside and say, "You know what?" We're just going to leave it out there and see what happens. And that's exactly what happened. I think we had some walks and a couple of hits and got basically loaded. And Owen, Owen comes up with two outs and I, I think two strikes. And he sends one over the left field fence. That's just that's kind of the summary of our season was we faced elimination almost all season. And every time except for the last two games, he came through. And it was just an uphill battle. And I really enjoyed it. It brought every one of us together. And we – we we fought for each other. That was that's what I loved about our team is that we fought for each other no matter, no matter what we went through, and we always pick each other up. And that's why I wouldn't trade my team for anybody else. Yeah, you guys seem to be a tight knit family. Hey, Colin, we had Coach Patterson on throughout the playoff process, and uh, he was very good to us and uh, gave us some insight into your journey uh, as a program. And then to take back for for another great memory for you, you're just a a sophomore at the time, uh, and you uh, garner MVP of the state championship series, winning uh, the 6A state championship. Uh, what or what a thrill for you that had to be uh, to win a state title at Coleman. Yes, sir, it was. It, it kind of surprised me because you know I just I just want to do as much as I can for my team because you know you're a sophomore and you have a bunch of older guys. You kind of I don't want to impress them and be accepted in the team. And they were very accepting, and they, I never felt pressured. But getting the state, state final series, and I just kind of got hot. I just kind of tried to do what I could. And 
you know, got some, had some hits in the holes and had a couple on drives that fell. And I didn't even think about, honestly, I didn't know they had MVP award. So I was trying to do my best. And we're standing on the line to get our trophy. And I just hear my name called out. And I was thinking, oh, they're just calling our roster. So I said, hey. And they're like, no, come here. <laughs> like, what? So they hand me the plaque. And I'm like, awesome. He said, no, take a picture. And then at that point, I realized what was going on. And then it hit me, oh. Apparently, I just got MVP. But uh, I think uh, a lot of our other players were very deserving of it. You had Owen, who was very productive with his hit, and Cole Collins, who yeah. is always productive with his hit, and Jesse Scott getting us the win in game one, and even Owen getting us the, the win in game three. So I was very fortunate and grateful to get that award. And how how uh, and how gratifying has it been to have your father, Shannon, uh, Coleman's pitching coach. He's been along with you on the journey and being a, the, a son of a coach. I know it's it's had to help your development in the game of baseball. Yes, sir, it has. With, you know, if you're playing on your and your dad or anything. It's, they people think people say that you know that's a lot of pressure. But you know, growing up, uh, I've watched him coach. And I've just always been around him in the game. And so playing under him, it's not it's not that hard. He him and Coach Patterson are like my fathers, and they put, you know, they put a lot of, a lot of responsibilities on me, and I'm fully prepared to take those, and I accept them very well. It's not, it's not too much pressure playing under him. It's very fun. I enjoy it. Absolutely, and I know you talked about Coach Goff earlier in the segment, but you also mentioned Jake Wells, who will be the recruiting coordinator and work with the catchers at Alabama. Uh, I, you, I know Coach Goff came to see you in Coleman. What has been your impression of uh, the tight assistant, Jake Wells? Jake Wells, I love that guy. He's uh, very energetic was my first impression. He, he had a smile on the whole time he talked to me. and uh, He's so energetic, and I can't, I can't wait to transition to that and carry over when I go to Alabama because uh, I feel like every day at practice he's going to be the guy that, you know, you know, maybe you had a couple of exams earlier and you're tired or a lot of homework and I thought he's the one that's going to pick you up when it's late at night. You're ready to go to sleep and he's ready to keep going. He wants to keep going. That's what I look forward to. He's just his energy and his excitement for the game. He loves the game. I can already tell. And you know, That's what I want to share with my coach, my relationship with my coach is that he loves the game. He wants to be here just as bad as I want to. Well, no, I know you're going to continue to work to get better going into your senior season and trying to get Coleman back atop 6 day baseball. Uh, talk about your experience at the showcase at Troy this week. I know there's a lot of uh, talent there and a lot of uh, college coaches. Uh, how did you think you performed? Uh, 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 playing for Team Alabama, we played, we started out playing Team Louisiana. Mm. And uh, they, have, they have some great athletes. And we, we were down a lot, like, most of the game, and then we slowly started inching away, inching away, and getting a run here and there, and we ended up winning. I think uh, five to four, I think, mm-hmm. the last couple innings. Uh, my, bat, my bat didn't get very hot until about the second or third game, but, you know, so I tried to play consistent defense at third and even short, and I made, made some plays there, and then I played uh, Team Georgia uh, again, just played defense like I can, and you know, uh, rolled the ball the way I can. I got a couple hits. And then game three, we played Team Florida. Team Florida's good. Uh, 
played them, got up, actually got up four to nothing, top of the first, two out. Mm. I uh, had a had a ground roll double, bounced over the fence, and scored Justin Foscue from Grissom to be one to nothing, two out. And after that, the Bastards, Bastards kept rolling with two out, we ended up scoring four in the first. Then we didn't score the rest of the game, and we held Florida to no runs for a long time, and they got one. And then just at innings after that, just one here, one there, and ended up they beat us on a walk off, five to four, in the last inning. But uh, it's it a great competition. I enjoyed it. It's it so much fun. I met so many people, mm-hmm. so many people that live around me that I didn't even know, and now I'm best friends with, and probably going to see the rest of the summer. And so it's just it was a great experience to me to see people that you know you share the state with and share talent with and have them all come together and play people in the same situation in other states. And I love Barry Dean and what he has going on down there. And I think he's doing a great job with everything that he has going on down there. And it's great you bring up Justin Foskey. We just had his former uh, coach, uh, uh, Corey Hammer, who's now going to James Clemens in the studio with us. Uh, what oh, Would it be fun to play with Justin in college? Oh, yeah. Yes, it would. He's he has a, so much talent, and I love getting to know him. I roomed with him down at uh, Troy, and he has a lot of potential and so much talent. And he's playing down at the World Woodbat Tournament in Perfect Game in Atlanta mm. this week, and he's hopefully going to get a lot of looks. And I'm I'm really hoping that Coach Goff and Coach Wells can get a good look at him and make a good assessment because I think they look good in some Crimson Red. <laughs> I think so. He's a. I saw him this year, and uh, Coach uh, Hamrick uh, put me on to him. Yeah, he's a great player, and I think uh, he would definitely help the Crimson Tide or wherever he decides to ply his uh, college years. I think he's going to be a, a true credit to their program as well. But, Noah, we're really happy for you, really proud for you. I know you're uh, very excited to be a, uh, Coach Goff's first uh, verbal commitment and is uh, in the 2017 class. But we thank you for joining Talking Ball, and we know you're going to continue to get – And that was Noah Fondren, the first verbal commitment answer to a trivia question under uh, new Alabama baseball coach Greg Goff and his staff. Now Jake Wells in place and looks like Terry Rooney of Central Florida coming over to coach the pitchers. So he was very excited uh, to uh, be able to continue his career with a couple of teammates, Owen Lovell, center fielder, and Jacob Hedley, the Lovell. Uh, will be coveted by the major leagues. It'll be interesting to see how high he goes in the draft. But wanted to bring you that conversation. And speaking of that, uh, now with us uh, on the Sunbelt Tents hotline, our third amigo, as always, William Redfish Barger with us tonight. William, how you doing, sir? Well, after being lost on that interview for the last five minutes, I'm doing pretty good now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of baseball we brought him tonight, William. And now we're going to switch gears to football and uh, a lot going on with the uh, opening uh, upon us now. A lot of Alabama commits over there. We'll be talking to someone in the second hour. Chris Kirchner of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's SEC country has been down there in person. But sounds like a lot of the commits and several of the targets are uh, not surprisingly impressing. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, right out of the gate, the the one that is you know, really impressed the most, or the two guys that have impressed the most, um, out of the skill players, um, you know, or is the the quarterback commit from Hawaii to uh, 
Um, you know, he's he's kind of followed up his Elite 11 performance last month uh, with a solid performance um, at quarterback in Oregon. And, uh, you know, the guy that, that everybody is really talking about and, and I think, you know, somebody that has been really uh, undervalued and underrated by the recruiting services, if you look at them, um, most of the media sources in the state of Louisiana you know, considers the the six foot one, hundred and seventy pound wide receiver Devonta Smith, you know, the top player in the state of Louisiana, and uh, you know he's only got that little four star tag attached to him. Um, I don't know, Drew, if you saw the, the the video clip today of him doing the reverse dunk, um, you know, up there at the opening. It, it only being six foot one, but it was very impressive. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know the two guys that are um, targets at the opening that um, have a chance to really increase their stock and improve their their ratings are Devonta Smith and the big six foot six wide receiver from Texas um, that's already committed to Alabama. Um, talking about the Shavers kid, um, mm-hmm. I really think you know whether it happens at the opening or it happens at the uh, the Under Armour game or the Army All American game. I truly expect both of those guys end up with that five-star tag attached to their names before National Signing Day in February. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And uh, every, on every stage he's been on, William Devonta Smith has impressed. The one that has been, I think, mildly disappointing, but we'll talk to his coach later in the show, and he's still a great player and a great prospect. I guess I was thinking that Jerry Judy would put on more of a show, but it's still early. Uh, he sounds like he's had uh, a few issues, maybe with uh, with a couple of drops, uh, and may, but but he's also made some really uh, in, outstanding catches as well. But uh, still, an outstanding player that I know Alabama covets. Oh, absolutely, and you know I'm not going to name any names, but this time last year I had a coach on Alabama staff, uh, you know, kind of hit me with one of the funniest uh, stories that I've ever heard, and. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about Jerry Judy and, and, you know, the fact that, you know, he was living with Calvin Ridley's foster parents. And, you know, you start talking about, uh, you know, the guy that preceded them out of out of the inner city Miami area and Amari Cooper. And I was told by a current coach on Alabama staff that they posed this question to me. They said, you know, what does Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, and Jerry Judy all have in common? And I got one part of the three-part answer right. I said, well, they're all from, from, you know, the city of Miami. And he said, yep, you got one of the three right. They're all from the city of Miami. They're all going to go to the University of Alabama, and they're all going to end up being first-round draft picks. (laughs) And the thing about Judy is I've watched his film, William, as have you. He's a very impressive wide receiver, but he's also very impressive as a defensive back. I I think he'll be a wide receiver at Alabama, but don't totally put that – uh, you know, out of your mind that he could play on the other side of the ball. I know you've mentioned that on my show before. Uh, Jerry Judy, just an outstanding athlete. Yeah, don't jinx us, Drew. I mean, don't don't think that it's you know beyond Nick Saban to to go full <laughs> Bill Oliver on us and uh, try and rob Jerry Judy over to the other side of the ball because you know when you look at his his sophomore tape, he, he you know he, he's got more highlights as a kick and punt returner and as a corner returning interceptions. And, you know, when you look at that stuff, that's exactly what it reminded me of. I was like, you know, God, you know, this is a, 
you know, another Antonio Langham situation. You know, a lot of people don't, you know, remember this 25 years ago. Uh, you know, Antonio Langham was a parade All-American wide receiver. Oh, he was. He was um, great know, on both of sides of the ball. Yeah. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to be a, you know, world-class wide receiver when he came to Alabama. And, you know, Bill Oliver gobbled him up and put him over there on the defense. And, you know, Nick Saban's got a little bit of a, a habit about doing that with skilled players as well. Um, you know, I think it's still going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what he does with a guy like Jadarius Townsend, who's, you know, labeled as an athlete in this class. But, you know, as a, you know, much like Anthony Averett was coming out of high school two years ago, you know, he's a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, they've got a couple of guys that they brought in in last year's class that kind of fit into that category. You know, is, is uh, you know, the Diggs kid from Maryland going to be a DB or is he going to be a wide receiver? I think that's still, you know, kind of got a to-be-determined label put, you know, to the side of it. But, you know, make no mistake about it, uh, you know, Nick Saban being a, you know, a DB's coach by, by trade and a, and a defensive coordinator prior to being a head coach, on the collegiate level, um, he's always got his eyes on those guys that can factor in as, you know, safeties and corners, you know, much in the same way that, you know, you've seen him test out Anthony Averett on both sides of the ball. Um, he's done it with Deontay Thompson. And I, I'd be willing to bet there's probably at least one, maybe two guys in last year's class and this year's class that will probably test out too. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and now to talk about, you, know, you had some outstanding team notes today uh, that, that you were able to share in a group that we're part of. And uh, you're as connected as anyone to the uh, football program and, and uh, have a lot of excellent insight. But I guess we'll just do it positionally, uh, kind of talk about some of the buzz you're hearing, and then we'll just start with a quarterback position. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, everybody kind of needs to take a chill pill at the quarterback position. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to talk to, you know, a couple of different guys on the staff. Um, you know, some are on the offensive side of the ball, some are on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, depending on who you talk to, you get a different answer. But the one consistent that I can share with the listeners is uh, whoever wins the starting job for the USC game, um, you know, whether it's Cooper Bateman or whether it's David Cornwell, um, you know, they better have eyes in the back of their head because the, the, the whispers of how special this Jalen Hurts has the potential to be uh, continues to grow. Um, you saw how comfortable he looked in the 8A game um, after only two college scrimmages, you know, when he was supposed to be going to his senior prom. Uh, you know, the guy looked comfortable. He, he didn't look rattled. You never saw him you know, make a bad play. Uh, you know, there was one instance where, you know, Nick Saban tried to tell him to stay in the pocket. But, you know, that's just not who he is as a quarterback. Um, you know, once he makes the decision to take off and run, um, at least on Alabama's team, you know, the only guy that's probably got a chance of tracking him down uh, once he takes off from three or four yards deep in the backfield is Rashawn Evans. Um, who's a special player in his own right at the linebacker spot. But, you know, there, there's a lot of different conspiracy theories, Drew, about the, uh, the, the quarterback position. You know, you look at Cooper Bateman, 
he's the guy that's got the most experience. Um, you know, I personally think he did a really, really good job last year um, in the appearances that he made as a backup. Um, th- then you look at maybe, you know, this year's team, when you look at all the elite wide receivers that they have, you know, maybe David Cornwell needs to be the guy because he's the, you know, the one guy on that roster um, that is the prototypical, you know, pro-style quarterback with the elite arm count that can make all the throws. So, you know, you've got that in play. But, um, you know, the one guy I think that's kind of being, you know, whitewashed over is Blake Barnett. Um, I still think he's got an opportunity to make a run for the starting job this year. Um, you know, his his performances up to this day have kind of been inconsistent. You know, I, I personally thought that, you know, the best I've seen out of him is what he did in the A-Day game back in April. Um, you know, now he's engaged. Um, you know, there's talk about his fiancée moving to Tuscaloosa, and, you know, that's too cohabitating. So, you know, that's kind of a off-the-field dynamic that I think you have to pay attention to. But but at the end of the day, I think as Alabama fans, you, you have to kind of, you know, take a step back from the situation and say, well, you know what, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin has been able to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken poop the last two years and put a good quarterback product on the field. Um, you know, maybe two years ago it wasn't so much of an issue because it was kind of the Amari Cooper show or bust. Uh, you know, last year it was kind of, um, you know, once Robert Foster got hurt, it was kind of the Calvin Ridley show or bust. But, you know, going into this year, you know, you've got Robert Foster, you've got Calvin Ridley, you've got Ardarius Stewart, and then you've got the transfer, Garrett Dieter, um, you know, that's a legit six foot three, two 215 pounds. Um, he can run uh, for Alabama fans that kind of want to see some, you know, factual evidence on how good he really is. You know, just pull up the Tennessee game last year when he was at Bowling Green and look at the number of times that he got, you know, behind the Tennessee secondary and, uh, you know, beat them consistently. And, you know, Bowling Green's quarterback got him the ball. So, you know, that's another, you know, peg in the wheel, you know, for Lane Kiffin, another feather in his cap to have him on campus and producing the way that he is in seven-on-seven workouts this summer. Um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, there's so much talent on that side of the ball, um, you know, especially at the, uh, you know, the running back wide receiver tight end positions. You know, Mario Cristobal and Brent Key just have to get, in my opinion, you know, one position solidified at right guard. You, then you start, you know, worrying about who you're going to get the ball to. And there's so many people that you can do that with. And then kind of talk about some buzz about Robert Foster. He still may be a little banged up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've kind of gotten a few reports about, you know, I thought it was confusing. I mean, Alabama's kind of got a, uh, you know, a Ph.D., so to speak, and, you know, getting guys like Eddie Jackson and and Bo Scarborough and, uh, you know, guys that have, you know, blown their ACL out in their knees, you know, back within six months. And, you know, Robert Foster is – you know, approaching, you know, the the 10th month mark on on this shoulder injury that he has. And, you know, there are kind of some concerns that he's got some maybe, you know, they still haven't determined this yet. They're going to 
send him to a specialist. Um, that maybe he might have some nerve damage, and that's kind of impeding his progress. Um, but you know, having a guy like Garrett Dieter or you know a guy like Ken Sims that's you know coming off of another b- bad knee injury, uh, waiting in the wings, and he might be full speed. That kind of negates it a little bit. But you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about a guy that you know a lot of the recruiting people thought was the number one wide receiver in the country. Uh, three years ago, um, you know, that is a concern. Um, you know, he was considered, you know, Alabama's number one wide receiver uh, last year prior to getting injured versus Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But, you know, Alabama has a lot of options um, at that wide receiver spot for 2016. They really do. And hopefully Foster can continue to uh, they can uh, find a way, you know, they he can continue to to, uh, to to return to health. I know they're, as you said, they're going to take him to a specialist. Hopefully they can find a way to help Robert and uh, continue his recovery. He can get back out on the field. But And now kind of talk about the offensive line. Or, excuse me, I, first of all, let's go with the running backs because, uh, you know, Bo Scarborough, we know what he did most of the spring. He didn't do a lot on A-Day, but the other two strings, he was outstanding. And then we saw Damian Harris finish strong. But it sounds like the two newcomers have impressed as well. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of Alabama fans that tuned into that A-Day game were, you know, expecting to see more out of Bo Scarborough. And, you know, my response to that would be, you know, look, he was running into probably the best front seven uh, that he's going to see all year and uh, what Jeremy put out on the field in April. Um, you know, number two, and, and again, I think it was kind of a combination of things. Um, you had two starters from the year before in Cam Robinson and Alphonse Taylor that were not made available for the A-Day game. So, you know, that, that kind of disrupts a little bit of, you know, the continuity on that offensive line. And you combine that with, you know, the front seven that they were running into um, that, that has, in my opinion, um, at least three uh, first-round draft picks. And, you know, when you break it down and you look at, you know, John Allen and Tim Williams, those two guys could both be two top 15 picks, um, you know, on that front seven. You know, Reuben Foster could factor in in the first round. And, you know, the guy that I think is probably the most complete player in college football at his position, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson is probably going to be a second or a third-round draft pick. And the only reason why he's going to slide that far back is because he doesn't have the measurables. You know, he's not a long, rangy guy, you know, kind of got short arms. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, you can ask to line up, you know, across from a tight end or an offensive tackle in the SEC. You know, he plays great leverage versus the run, uh, you know, produces production in, in the, the, the pass rushing game. Uh, you know, Ryan Anderson is a guy that I think Alabama fans really don't realize how good he really is. But, uh, you know, when you start talking about the running back position, um, you know, you got Bo Scarborough, uh, who was a five-star guy that some people thought was better than Leonard Fournette coming out of high school. Um, you got Damian Harris, who was the number one running back in the country two years ago. And then you combine that with, uh, B.J. Emmons and Joshua Jacobs. Um, you know, my best comparison on Emmons could be um, a little bit taller and a little bit faster version of Mark Ingram. And, you know, I think that the the guy that, that 
you know, could end up having the biggest impact on the 2016 team is Joshua Jacobs. I mean, I think he's got a great chance of, you know, kind of filling that change of pace back role, um, you know, that Kenyon Drake filled last year when he was healthy. Um, so, you know, they've got all those guys. Um, you know, as far as the offensive line is concerned, um, it, it's just an embarrassment of riches. Um, you know, they've peeled some bad weight off of Scott Lashley. Um, I think there's still some debate about whether he might be, you know, more effective as a, a left tackle versus a right tackle. You know, they've still got, uh, you know, the Matt Womack, that's, a, you know, kind of a developmental guy over there at right tackle. Um you know, they've got, you know, the plethora of, of the interior guys at center and offensive guard. So, you know, in, in my mind, you know, the starting offensive line that goes into um, training camp in a couple of weeks in August, you know, from left to right is Cam Robinson at left tackle, Lester Cotton at left guard, Ross Piercebacher at center, um, either – Brandon Kennedy or Alphonse Taylor at right guard and, and the, you know, the elite true freshman Jonah Williams at right tackle. Um, so, you know, the storyline there in my mind is, you know, is it going to be Alphonse Taylor at right guard? Is it going to be Brandon Kennedy at right guard? Could it possibly be Brandon Bozeman at right guard? Or, you know, does Dallas Warmack rise up? But that's the one uh, kind of unknown position, I think, in that offensive line. Yeah, it really will. Bradley Bozeman's a swing guy. He's worked at a bunch of different positions. And, William, uh, defensively, I know you talked a little bit about uh, Ryan Anderson and, and what he could mean to the team and how he's an underrated guy. But there was some attrition at the linebacker spot. And Adonis Thomas looks like he will be headed to a Mississippi Junior College. But if anyone has paid attention, uh, I don't think they should be surprised by that uh, situation. I know you have been on top of that since the end of spring. Yeah, you know, that, I think that was one of the, the main things that, you know, when Jeremy Pruitt came in in December and, you know, spent all of bowl practice and, you know, evaluated the guys on that side of the ball, um, you know, there were some some bright lights, so to speak, that stood out to him that, in his mind, you know, didn't have any business being on scholarship at Alabama. And, uh, you know, I think especially when you start talking about Adonis Thomas, um, I think you have to look at the fact that, you know, he was the defensive coordinator at Georgia um, an hour and a half up the road when Adonis Thomas was a senior in high school and did not pursue him very hard. So it's really not, you know, that big of a surprise that, you know, he showed up on the list of people that, you know, maybe Jeremy thought should be shown the door and, you know, given the opportunity to go play somewhere else. Uh, but, you know, post-spring practice, I think that list consisted of uh, Adonis Thomas, Sean Burgess-Becker, Joshua McMillan, and uh, Johnny Dwight. Uh, you know, in the last 60 days, you know, Burgess-Becker and Thomas have, you know, gone elsewhere to look for playing time. We'll just have to wait and see if uh, – you know, McMillan and Dwight survive for this fall, or maybe they get pushed out the door in January. But, uh, you know, that's certainly something to keep your eye on. But, you know, where the the, the true magic, I think, is going to take place with this team in 2016 on the defensive side of the ball is going to be in the front seven. 
And, uh, you know, they've got a guy that's finally the lights come on with him and, and uh, Joshua Frazier. You know, he's lost down from, you know, 350 pounds to 308. Um, you know, he's kind of tweeted out that he wants to get down to 295. And if he can do that, you know, that young man has some uh, Marcel Darius qualities in his skill set. Um, I would compare him favorably to, you know, Deron Payne last year and what he did as a true freshman. Uh, but, you know, the star of spring practice, of you know, of guys that, you know, weren't really counted on to be starters uh, in my mind What was Anthony Jennings. Um, he's a guy that's, you know, flirting with the 265, 270-pound range, um, you know, shows that, that he could, you know, step in and become Ryan Anderson at that Jack linebacker spot when Ryan gets gone in January. He can hold the point of attack versus the run. He can be an effective edge rusher. And I think, you know, that's something that Alabama fans will see a gradual progression going forward is, you know, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't share the same vision that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have had for, you know, the last eight or nine years. You know, he doesn't want the the heavy-legged guys um, that have kind of been the hallmark of those defenses. He's willing to sacrifice size for guys that can run. And so, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of guys come into the program uh, you know, in the next couple of years that are Ashawn Robinson clones, Jaron Reed clones, uh, certainly not Terrence Cody or, or Kendall Holt Jones clones. You know, he wants guys that can play multiple positions, that can run. And if you start watching that Clemson game um, halfway through the second quarter, when Kirby and Nick finally listen to Jeremy and they insert Deshaun Hannon or Sean Evans into the game, and you start to see Deshaun Watson struggle uh, because he, he can't outrun, you know, Deshaun Hand and, uh, you know, Rashawn Evans is spying and, and you know, uh, following him all over the field. It has that sideline-to-sideline speed. That's going to be the hallmark of a Jeremy Pruitt defense. It's going to be speed versus size because if you look at it, Drew, um, you know, the heavy-legged, um, you know, type of defenses that Kirby and Nick have had. And that's been a, a very strong, successful point of their tenure at Alabama, um, you know, up until last year. But if you really look at it on the 2016 schedule, who do they really need those facets for uh, versus Arkansas, uh, you know, versus uh uh, USC maybe to a certain extent because they might try and run the ball, uh, you know, versus Auburn, versus LSU. You know, that's four teams out of a, a 12-game schedule. So I think you're going to start to see a shift in the profile of people that they recruit and the type of guys that they're going to play at those front seven positions. Yeah, that's a great point, William. And finally, the defensive backs, and that's a good segue because we're going to have – uh, in just a few minutes, uh, uh, Coach Javon Glenn from Deerfield Beach, but uh, they, his uh, pupil Aaron Robinson is on campus now, and I know you think he has a chance to be a really good player, but kind of just talk about that secondary. And I've, I've been championing Anthony Averett since I talked to one of, one of the greatest that ever, in my opinion, the best cornerback that ever played at Alabama, and you already mentioned him earlier in the hour. 
Antonio Langham told me he was basically a third starter this spring. But uh, the, the secondary has got a chance to be really good, especially if they can leave Minka at nickel. Yeah, man, and uh, I'm glad you got a chance to spend some time with uh, with Rudy Langham. He's one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, you know, a, a huge ambassador of Alabama football, um, and it has a, a great eye uh, for talent. You know, he got to play for Nick up at the Cleveland Browns. You know, got to spend some time with Phil Savage, who I think has uh, got a pretty heavy foot in the door at being the next athletic director at Alabama. Um, and, you know, the guy knows football. And, uh, you know, when you start looking at, you know, the, the DBs that are already on campus, you know, versus the ones that they're bringing in in this class, um, there, there's a lot of moving parts that are going on with that, you know, that back end of the defense. And, you know, it's no secret that, that the staff wants Aver- Anthony Averett to be that corner opposite of Marlon Humphrey. They feel more comfortable with Minka Fitzpatrick being, you know, that nickel guy and being more of a, a full-time safety. You know, he got exposed a little bit um, in one-on-one coverage versus Clemson. Um, you know, that's not really his strong suit. A very, a very cerebral player that, that knows the defense, came on campus last year as a true freshman, learned it. But, you know, you got to understand the skill set. Um, so they really want, you know, Averett to nail down that other corner spot. Um, you've got a guy in, in Deontay Thompson that they finally have left alone long enough at one position um, after, you know, you know, bouncing him back and forth between safety and wide receiver. You know, he, had, he really rose up and showed that, you know, he's a guy that can provide some quality depth back there at safety uh, behind Eddie Jackson and, and – uh, uh, Lord have mercy. Um, what's the other one's name from Tallahassee? Ronnie Harris. Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Harris. Harrison, sorry. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've got this next wave of players that have come in, and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of them. You know, I think the guy that jumps off the page immediately is Jaron Maiden. You know, he's 6'1", 195. He's got the size and the length that Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt look for as a boundary corner. But then you've got, you know, Nigel Knott, you know, the Robinson kid, Shaheen Carter, um, you know, all those other players they brought in last year. And, you know, the, 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 the reality is it's probably only two of those guys are going to stick at corner. Um, so the other two are probably going to, you know, migrate to the safety spot. And that's not a bad thing, you know. Uh, three years ago, Eddie Jackson was considered an elite quarterback. Uh, you know, one blown out knee later, and, you know, you saw him struggle against Auburn, you know, in the latter part of the, the 2014 Auburn game. Uh, you know, he got benched, and, you know, then they moved him to safety, and, you know, now he's on every All-American list. is considered a first-round draft pick as a safety. So there's no shame in that. So I think what Jeremy Pruitt and, and Derek Ainsley and Nick Saban are going to spend the rest of the summer trying to figure out is, you know, aside from Jared Maiden, who is the other guy that's going to factor in at corner? I think you have to talk about Kendall Sheffield to a certain uh, a certain point as well. He's certainly a guy that factors in there. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be a couple of those guys, you know, if, if Diggs stays on that side of the ball, uh, you know, obviously, I think Shaheen Carter 
uh, might factor in better as a safety versus a corner. Um, Robinson, you know, I think right now is, is kind of the the unknown there um, because he does have the length and he does have the speed. Um, you know, Nigel Knott's a guy that's got to get his weight up, you know, much in the same way. Uh, I think a lot of Alabama fans were confused when Marlon Humphrey got redshirted. It wasn't that Marlon Humphrey didn't have the skill set to be a an SEC cornerback right out of the gate as a true freshman, but he had he had to add size to be effective as a run stopper. So, a lot of moving parts back there at the DB strip. And William, with a great uh, team talk there, we're going to take a, uh, about a five minute break here uh, on uh, our one break of the night. Uh, on BAMS radio, and we're going to come back in a few minutes, and we're going to connect uh, with Coach Glenn uh, from Deerfield Beach, Javon Glenn. We're looking forward to speaking with him, and he can kind of expand on Aaron Robinson, what kind of player he is, and, of course, tell us more about the career of Jerry Judy and what he's doing after his first season as the head football coach. One, two,
Welcome back as we get this hour number two underway uh, of BAMS Radio. Uh, we are efforting to reach uh, Javon Glenn. Uh, Thomas is uh, trying to get him on the uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline for us. He, uh, I know he's ready to go. He's ready for the phone call. So we're going to try to get him on with us and uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, get him uh, get his thoughts on Aaron Robinson and uh, Jerry Judy. And I know William. Uh, we talked about it in hour number one, but Aaron Robinson. He was a last-minute addition, uh, but is uh, and was a Florida Gators commit. But that was one of the first signs of Jeremy Pruitt and kind of changing over the personnel. Yeah, and I think so. And I, you know, I think that's something that you know you kind of have to look for. You know, going forward is, um, you know, Kirby Smart's gone. Um, you know, there's a new guy there that has, uh, you know, kind of different evaluations and opinions versus what, you know, Nick and Kirby have done versus the last, you know, nine years of, you know, their tenure there at Alabama. And, you know, I think, you know, that 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 comment might scare some people to a certain extent. It certainly doesn't scare me. Um, you know, when you look at what Jeremy has done away from the University of Alabama, I, I mean, I never will forget, um, you know, when he left and, you know, a lot of Alabama fans got pissed off because he flipped Marcus Walker and took him with him to Florida State. Um, but, you know, if you look at the Jimbo Fisher tenure um, and what he's done, um, you know, it hasn't been as good before or since Jeremy was there. Um, he goes to Georgia, you know, works for a administration at Georgia, that is not committed to winning. It kind of reminds me of, of what the uh, Alabama administration was post Bear Bryant, pre Nick Saban. Um, he was able to field, you know, two top 20 defenses at Georgia. Um, so, you know, all the Alabama fans that, you know, don't like him, they don't, you know, like what he stands for. You know, the guy is a great evaluator of talent. Um, he's a, a hard worker, a tireless worker. You know, let's don't forget, you know, he's the guy that flipped T.J. Yeldon from Auburn to Alabama. And, uh, you know, I think they should embrace him, you know, not for being a former Alabama football player. Um, they should embrace yeah. him because I think he is one of the best guys in the country at what he does at his position. He really is. And now – on the uh, Sunbelt 10 hotline, we do have uh, the, the – he's just finished his first season as the head football coach at Deerfield Beach. We are honored to be joined uh, by Javon Glenn. Coach Glenn, how are you doing tonight? Welcome to BAMS Radio. Oh, I'm doing all right. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely, Coach. And I guess for our listeners, first of all, uh, you're in your – you just finished your first year at Deerfield Beach, and uh, but you'd spent a long time in that program. Kind of let everybody know know how you got to this point in your career and then i'll let william redfish barger who is a former alabama offensive lineman i know he has some questions for you about your program and your and your kids uh sure no problem yeah this will be my uh going into my second year as a head coach here at different beat uh my 11th year overall uh started at the bottom uh jv defense coordinator watch code uh you know i mean you name it i started there and still right now as a head coach i still watch clothes i want to just keep myself grounded to make sure i know where i came from and what I'm trying to do, and it's a way I humble myself. So 
been been here for a while, saw it up uh, up and I saw it down, and just trying to make sure I do my part to steer the ship and keep it on track where it's supposed to be at. Well, Coach, tell the listening audience about, uh, you know, some of the elite players that you've uh, had some, some contact with in the last couple of years and, uh, you know, where you see those guys going to school. Oh, I mean, I, I, just last year, I know the Bama fan might not want to hear, but we had uh, Riley Ridley, Calvin's little brother, that ended up going over to UGA. Uh, I mean, he, he's a, a really exciting player that's going to be uh, do some good things. I know Bama fans don't want to hear that, but. He's a great kid, comes from a good closet, as you guys can see with the older Ridley brother. Uh, we've got Aaron Robinson uh, right now, who uh, was an, an enrollee at Bama going into his freshman year. Uh, one of the kids I've ever seen in my 11 years at Deerfield and just I mean, flat out. I mean, he, he's a kid that everything he's got was, was earned. I mean, he was injured uh, the, the preseason game of his junior year. So a lot of you know guys, they, they didn't recruit him because they kept saying they wanted to see junior film, junior film. And we had some, some guys come in, and, and they trusted us from knowing. I mean, we, we've had a slew of guys come through different beats. You, you name from the Jason P.L. Pauls, that's with the Giants now. Stalker McDougal retired with the uh, Dolphins. Denard Robinson is with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. Uh, we got Brandon Powell over at the uh, University of Florida is doing amazing things, a guy that's just a, a tireless worker. Uh, Jason Strawberry at North Carolina. I mean, I mean, you name it, Brent Schaefer at Tennessee. The, the 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 ground is fertile. I mean, in South Florida as a whole, and Deerfield Beach is no exception. I mean, year in year out, we'll have guys that I mean that'll be very exciting and next level football players. And coach, you mentioned. I'm glad you brought up Aaron Robinson uh, because he was a last minute addition to the Alabama class, uh, flipping from Florida on signing day. A lot of people didn't know about him, but you just mentioned that he was injured most of his junior year. But I've heard some outstanding things about him as a senior. I know he had a lockdown year. Kind of talk about him, his senior season, and, and the skill set he may bring or is going to bring to this Alabama defense. Oh, man, he's one of the most complete corners that were in the country. I mean, he was just under the radar. Like I said, he missed his entire junior year. I mean, uh, his senior year, I mean, we played the, the big names here, the, the Trayvon Grimes, the, the Benjamin Victor. He had one pass called on him all year, and it was a, a pass that he should have intercepted. He kind of bobbled it, and I think uh, Victor – was it Victor Carter on off the bobble? And other than that, I mean, he didn't give a pass. I mean, he was a form of safety, so he's aggressive. He'll feel and tackle with the best of them. I kind of had to talk to myself, my DB coach, about moving to corner because, I mean, he's fast, he's physical. But at being a big corner and being fast and physical is a much hotter commodity than being an average-sized safety and that's physical. And once we got him to convert to that, I mean, sky's the limit. I mean, he he was committed to Florida because it was his dream school early, but that's because he hadn't seen anything. Last year, we went out on our college school, and he got to start to compare and contrast and see things, and then he wanted to see Bama. So uh, I brought him up to Bama. Let him try. I mean, Bama is, is such an, an impressive place. And when I came up, I tried to commit, but Coach Cristobal and Coach Saban wouldn't take my commitment. <laughs> well, hey, Coach, I, I, I've kind of – I mean, I had the opportunity to play for Alabama back in the early 90s and, uh, you know, got a scholarship and stuff. But I understand your pain. I, I've kind of tried to recommit, uh, <laughs> you know, in the last couple of years too. But, you know, talk, talk to us a little bit about Aaron. Um, you know, when I look at him on film, I see a guy that's, you know, t- tell us what his legit size and weight is, at least the last time that you saw him. 
and, and tell tell us where you think you see him fitting in on this Nick Saban Jeremy Pruitt defense. Do you see do you see him as a a boundary corner or maybe a guy that may you know segue over to safety? I can see him playing a boundary boundary corner. I mean, if they needed him at safety, he could. But at the next level, I think he'll be more of a boundary cutter. He's a kid that right now is a very talented kid, but he's he's not you know at, at he's not peaked out of a football player. I mean, sometimes I know you guys can watch it. There's some kids that are in high school they are as good as they're going to get. They're peaked out right. at that moment. And with corner being so new to him, I mean, some of the nuances when they get their hands on him, and I know Coach Saban you know likes to coach those DBs up. And to get that kind of coaching is going to just be sky's the limit for him. But, I mean, he can run with the best of them. When he left, he was 179, a 5'11", 5'11 and a quarter. I mean, that was just legit weight. I mean, and, I mean, and he's got the kind of – a lot of these kids down in South Florida, when you get them up to an Alabama or one of these, these schools and put them on a real training table, you'll just see – I mean, their bodies will start to, to really grow. Sure. I mean, you can look at Calvin. Absorbing. Calvin left. Absorbing. Calvin was very slim. Because some of these kids down here, it's, it's pretty rough living. I mean, two of the three meals a day is cereal. Or either when you're in school, you get school breakfast and school lunch, and then you hope for the best for dinner. Now, you bring up a good point, and I think Calvin Ridley is kind of the, uh, you know, the laboratory test animal that's concerned. You know, he was 160 pounds, you know, when he got, you know, was asked to stop playing, you know, high school football down there. And then he shows up at Alabama at 180. Do you think Aaron has that same, you know, propensity to put on weight? And do you think that, you know, is he more of a boundary corner or do you think he's going to be more of a safety? I think he's going to be more of a boundary corner. He definitely has because when he ran track, his weight went down to like maybe 162. Calvin and, and Aaron have the same trainer here, a guy named Zach Raymond, tough training. He's big down in the area. and I mean, he's a master at, you know, giving the kids the protein, the extra stuff they need, and and just developing their bodies. Like, he's the one that worked with Calvin when he was here and, you know, got his chest. Everything. Same thing with Aaron. Aaron put on 17 pounds of muscle before he came to Alabama. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you, too, about, uh, of course, Jerry Judy, who's a part of your program. He's at the opening right now uh, in Beaverton, Oregon, and he uh, went to the Rivals Five-Star Challenge, did quite well. Been watching his film since last year, and the thing that sticks out to me about him is, of course, he's an outstanding wide receiver. But I had a good friend of mine in the in the state of Texas who uh, he he doesn't have a dog in the fight. He just likes to watch a lot of film as far as with uh, the, the kids in the SEC. But he he told me his the specialties DBs. He thinks Jerry has a, a first round talent at corner as well and could play on either side of the ball. But kind of talk about his skill set for you and what he's done at Deerfield Beach. Oh man, Jerry, Jerry's been a, a blessing to our program. Just in a, in, in a year to see him go from being, you know, little Jerry that was running around with Calvin and Riley to now, you know, he has little Jerry's running around following him, and he's leading them the right way. I mean, we, we've got youngsters that he's coaching them up, and he's spending extra time with them while still getting his work in. I mean, he's he's an elite athlete. I mean, he definitely, if he wanted to be, you know, the best corner in the country, he could do that. But, I mean, he, he's he's one heck of a wide receiver. I mean. Some of the things that he can he can do are things that you can't teach. I wish we could say that our program we made him. He kind of he was blessed. I mean, the way he's able to get in and out of breaks, and he's got football speed to the point where he's going to run faster than you if you're trying to catch him. So what that he likes to on a, on a stopwatch sometimes, it, 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 he runs fast enough. But he 
he can do a little bit of it all. He's got good hands. I mean, he's another one with his body. He went from 160 to, I think he was 180 when he left. He told me I think he weighed in at 179, 78 when he was up there. So he's another one that he, he takes it serious. Now he's, we're trying to get him a, teach him a little things, get him a little ahead of the curve. But he'll be an early enrollee when he does go to college. So we're trying to teach him how to eat better and, you know, work on his diet, those little things, those next-level things. And it's starting to show in his skill set. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you about that, too, about him being an early enrollee. Uh, it could really help his development at Alabama uh, or wherever he should choose to go to school. I know Alabama has been listed among his favorites, but kind of update the listeners on his recruiting process. I know he stated he wants to take his visits. Do you have, does he, has he told you when he may make a decision? Uh, we're going we're gonna to sit down. We're trying to give him – because my thing is I want to let the kid, you know, kind of enjoy the process a little bit because when you're with that level of, of talent, a lot of times you got people coming at you all over. They don't let you, you know, be a kid in the moment. So we want to kind of let him enjoy it and just, you know, have fun being a young man, being, you know, 17 years old and being able to see, you know, be in Oregon and compete in the rival challenge. So when he gets back, uh, next week we're going to sit down and start talking about it. I mean, we, we've got him. He's narrowed down his list. So that's a good thing because, you know, at as, as times you can see he, he's watched Calvin, he's watched Riley. When, you know, you still got 50 schools recruiting you, it, it's not fun to answer the phone, you know, with 50 different coaches calling you and some you know you have in, don't have interest in. So, being able to, to to narrow that down to a few schools and his, his process is going to have to be expedited a little bit because you're not going to get to take, you know, all of your officials when you're an early enrollee. You'll probably only get, you know, a couple of visits. That's why it was important for us the last couple of years to get him on campuses on our college tours. And then, I mean, obviously he, he's been to Babel several times. So that's what we've been doing, just trying to let him enjoy the process. And then when we get down, we'll, you know, dissect everything uh, when he gets back from Oregon and we'll go from there. But I'm, I'm thinking he wants to kind of have it, you know, off his shoulders before the season. And then if he's solid with his decision by then, then uh, that's what it'll be. Well, Coach, let me ask you this, because you've probably spent more time around him than anybody. What do you think is his best position going forward? Is it wide receiver? Um, do you think he's a, uh, you know, a, a DB? Or what do you think is his best position going forward at the collegiate level? I would say, I would say wide receiver just because that's where his heart is. He's one of those guys though. But if he had a change of heart and it went to DB, he could be one of the best DBs in the country as well. So if I had to go with it today, I would go with where his heart is. I, I, I definitely put my money on wherever he had his heart in as a football player. And uh, coach, I know uh, he's worked really hard for you and uh, made a lot of plays, as did Aaron Robinson uh, the last uh, couple years in your program. But now. Uh, Aaron has moved on to Alabama. There'll be Jerry is going to be a marked man. He knows that. Uh, but what what are you expecting uh, out of him as a senior? I know he's he seems to work at his craft, work very hard. He's impressed them so far at the opening, uh, and of course he was on fire at the rivals five star challenge. But what have you kind of been talking to him about that he needs to improve on uh, going into his final season for you at Deerfield Beach? I just want him to be be dominant every play because right now he he's got guys that you know he he's the bulletin you know he's the guy they want I want to come in I want to try to you know you get a guy that at a camp that may have one good play you know because you stumbled out of a row or anything they want to he's he's the standard so they want to get their fame off of him so I, we've been working with him on we want you to have a mentality that you, know, you kill a mosquito with an axe you got to be a bad man to swing an axe and chop a mosquito in half and that's what he's been doing this summer he's been chopping mosquitoes down with the Paul Bunyan neck. And that's what I'm more proud about him. He's, he's taking no prisoners, 
and that's just his mentality, and, and I'm loving it. We're going to transition well going into the season with our other guys because they feed off him. He's our guy. He's our leader. But we got we got some dogs to play alongside of him, so it's going to be a real special year here in Deerfield Beach. And, Coach, talk about – we wanted you to talk about your program, too. I know Jerry Judy is, of course, uh, the big dog for you and is the best player probably on your football team. Uh, but it's been, as you said, it's been a fertile area for talent. Talk about some other great players on your team that we may be hearing about in the future. Oh, uh, man, we got uh, Leroy Henley, who's a ESPN 300 wide receiver as well. He's got over, you know, 40 offers. He's a, a big-time wide receiver as well. And, I mean, that's going to be something that – going to help Jerry out. He's not going to be able to just double-team him. Uh, we got Daywood Davis, who's another three-star uh, receiver who was formerly committed to Syracuse. His, his uh, sit back open. He's a kind of guy that can see that can take the top off. I mean, I got some young puppies. Canadius McCoy, uh, that's the name that you guys are going to gonna hear about really, really soon, a 2018 receiver. And I got the next Jerry Judy. You heard it here first. Young man named Day-Day McDougal. He's in eighth grade. He's going to be a ninth-grade varsity player. He's already in our rotation as a receiver. I mean, we'll have 14 or 15 guys sign Division One this year. I mean, defensively, our front seven. I mean, we have Soccer McDougal's son, Lamont McDougal. He just committed to Washington State. Got a defensive end, Desmond Alexander, who's committed to NC State. Uh, got another defense tackle, Jamari Rouse, who's filled an office from about 20 Division One schools. I got a freshman, Jimon Ephraim, who's going to be a sophomore next year. It's got 2019. He's already got offers from Bama, Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan. Uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, got some safeties, Kobe Green, Jelani Harrison, that are, are getting ready to commit pretty soon to some Division One programs. Uh, I mean, offensive lineman, quarterback. We're, we're, we we got some we got some balls. We're, we're looking. To, uh, this is one of those years where you know, a lot of people they they think oh it's pressure, but nobody has more pressure. Like we believe in ourselves. We want it better than anybody can want it for us. There's no pressure here. The expectation is high around here, and and I think we got the team to to capture you know all of those expectations. Well, and coach, coach, sounds like you have. A, oh, go ahead, Jerry. No, go ahead, William. We just thought. No, I just said it sounds like you've got a plethora of talent down there. Um, you know, how do you, you know, you guys as coaching staff, you know, kind of wade through. You know, who's a an Alabama guy? Who's a Florida guy? Who's a Florida State guy? You know, how do you wade through? Um, you know, the prospects that you have, because it sounds like you have a bunch of them. And how do you guys, you know, kind of mentor those guys as to where to go to school? We kind of, we, we just, from, like, from the standpoint of, you know, what school they're going to go to, we make sure the kids have all the information they need to make a, you know, a qualified decision. We don't want kids just falling in love or this is a dream school or this program is winning. You got to understand, you know, what's the fit, the style of play. And then as far as, uh, you know, we're going to go through the, the the rosters, the depth charts. And then how bad they want you because, you and I, you guys know as well, kids want schools more than schools want them. So we try to make sure we can decipher that and help them decipher that. Because some kids, they get caught up in the edits and you know, things like that, and they think that's you know, a really a want thing. They don't understand that there are people paid by the universities to do edits and to tweet you and to send you, you know, DMs. So we, we got to make sure we take away all the riffraff so they can really get down to the, the, the meat and the, you know, the, the meat and the second potatoes of the recruiting aspect. But we definitely, you know, we don't push them to go to any school. We make sure they're informed and have all the information they need on on every school, you know, that need be. And some of our guys, they have, you know, some good, uh, you know, situations at home where their parents can be in. And some of our guys, it's just us. We got to sit down and, you know, I've got 
one of my kids, he, his descendants don't even speak English. They, you know, a Haitian kid, they work. Mom has, I think, three jobs. They barely even see them. So those are kids that we have to kind of take on our wing. We just make sure, you know, we do right by them. But we definitely want the kids to make an informed decision so we give them everything they need. And if that means, you know, like with Aaron Robinson, I had to get in my car and, and drive him to Alabama. He wanted to see it. He wanted to see if it was a fit for him. Okay, let's get in the car. Let's go. You know, we, 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 we pride ourselves. And one thing about Deerfield Beach, the first thing will always be the first thing. The kids are the first thing. I mean, I get a little flack sometimes when people say you go a little too hard for your kids. I do it because I had coaches that went hard for me. So I do it from a different standpoint of, of other coaches. Like if it wasn't for coaches like the way, what I'm trying to be today, I wouldn't have made it, you know, here or been able to been on this phone talking with you guys. So that's just it. We're just trying to pay it forward, and we hope those guys can do the same thing when they're done with their playing careers, whatever, whatever, whatever level, come back to the community and, and help another young guy up. Well, and Coach, uh, and again, we thank you for joining us. I know it's a busy time. You're, you're preparing your team for this 2016 season. You're second at Deerfield Beach. But finally, I just wanted to ask you one more thing about uh, Jerry Judy as a player. What, what are you expecting out of him? I know you, you, he's been a great player for you, but when he gets to whatever college program he may choose to, uh, to further his career, what are you expecting out of him on the college level, Coach? I mean, he showed me that's my indication that it's going to be lights out. I mean, he's he's a special talent, one that, that doesn't come around, you know, but every so often. I mean, everything he's shown me from his you know, physical ability to his mindset now says he's going to be big time wherever he goes. I mean, he's just – he's got that eye of the tiger. And uh, if you guys ever been around, I mean, everybody in South Florida knows Jerry Judy's a dog. Like, Jerry Judy's going to go. Like, he's, he's the kind of kid that will go to a camp where there's 700 kids and he'll get 50 reps just because he's that competitive. And then our practices are, I mean, iron sharp as iron. Last year, Jerry Judy and Aaron Robinson, Riley Ridley, we have five DBs that are going to play Division One football, so they went at it. Like, that's just the atmosphere we we create around there. And, I mean, and he holds, even our young kids, the young guy I was talking about the receivers, they didn't make do it. He got on him like his second day there and told him, you got a chance to be great, but you can't take one play off. And then that's just that's, that's the way his mentality, and he's imposing his will on the other kids. And that, that's one thing that I'm most impressed by him is because he's able now to understand that he can still be great and do what he has to do, and he can bring others with him. And, and that shows you how, how it is. It's like in, in basketball, you have those guys where they say it seems like the game slows down when they're not really playing hard just because they're that good. He, he's kind of like that. Like he can make it look easy, and what it is, and someone else will go out and try to do it, and it, it just won't happen. He can make it look easy because he's special. And that's uh, that's great stuff, Coach. And, uh, and again, uh, it's been a pleasure having you tonight. And uh, William and I have really enjoyed conversing with you. We're we're definitely going to be following Deerfield Beach closely. We know. Uh, and I had a I had a very strong feeling that uh, that you had already turned out a Aaron Robinson. You've got Jerry Judy, but it's far from over, as you said. Very fertile talent, and you've done an outstanding job uh, continuing to the, the excellent tradition at Deerfield Beach. But we appreciate you joining Bams Radio. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, just uh, thank you for uh, being with us tonight. Uh, we've really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to be up in the Bama in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to try to commit one more time. This is my last one. <laughs> Absolutely, Coach. Great stuff. We really appreciate you for joining us, and uh, it's been outstanding. And we, we expect uh, that uh, you guys are really going to be uh, continuing to turn out the prospects. We know we we'll, we'll definitely probably won't be the last time we have you on BAMS Radio. Thank you, Coach. Have a great night. 
uh, accidentally had a he, he dropped. He got well, that's an okay. accidental hobnail. My bad. Uh, My bad, Coach. <laughs> Yell at the producer. Uh, but uh, great, great stuff from Coach and uh, taking the time, and I uh, really appreciate that, uh, Thomas. Is uh, we uh, we uh, enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about that program. William sounds like uh, they've got quite a pipeline going. Well, Drew, we actually lost fish, but I was able to listen to that one. And uh, that when he said what twelve or thirteen, however many D one, you know, double digit D one kids on a high school football team, I. I would want no part of them if I was a high school football group. I mean, that's a stacked program if you've ever had one. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure we're going to be able to reach Chris Kirchner tonight. Uh, he's had a, a lot of stuff he's having to do for uh, Bleacher Report and, uh, and, uh, and for SEC Country. Just got a text from him. Uh, so it looks like we uh, may uh, – we uh, we may not have him uh, on with us tonight. We uh, we may uh, we we may try to get Fish back on with us to see uh, if he has any more thoughts on Jerry Judy, and of course Aaron Robinson. We really enjoyed uh, him uh, being on with us, Thomas. But uh, I, I, we really appreciate again uh, the listeners. I know they uh, really thought uh, it was outstanding stuff. I mean, you don't get any better than that. And Coach Glenn, he's in it for the right reasons. Right. And uh, that's what I loved uh, hearing about when, during that conversation. Certainly. And, and you know, it was uh, – what resonated with me is I, I've, got a, I've got a player whose parents don't speak English. Dad's working three jobs. Mom's working two. So we have to mentor this kid. And he, it, it didn't – he didn't make it sound like it was that big a deal. It was just like this is what we got to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And uh, – I will, uh, you know, to borrow an Avery Johnson phrase, buckle up. Was, yeah, was absolutely. Kinda, was absolutely how I felt. From, and, you know, I'm cheering for him. <laughs> I, I wish him the best. That was a fantastic interview. And, uh, Drew, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get Fish back, but um, why don't we do this? We have, I, I see, 25 minutes left on my on-air time. Right. Why don't we go ahead and throw open the phone lines to our Absolutely. Any listener? If you uh, if you want to jump in in the conversation, talk about what you just heard from either Fish or Coach Glenn, or just talk to Drew and I, give us a holler at seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven. We'd absolutely love to hear from you, and uh, we're going to be scraping a little bit of the content barrel without you. So help us out. But you know, Drew, I, I, we've talked a lot about recruiting, and I, you know, again, I, I can't thank you enough for getting Coach Glenn on, but. Aside from talking about early on in the show, SEC Media Days, you know who's showing up, who you know, basically who's where, what, when, you'll be there. So, what is your expectation as someone who will be in the room, at least for Alabama's prospects? I don't want to go through each school because, goodness gracious, I don't want to put you on the spot like that. But what's your expectation coming from the Alabama contingent as SEC at SEC Media Days uh, this time next week? Uh, well, you know, it'll be a circus as usual when Nick Saban is there. Um, I think uh, that most everybody is going to pick uh, either Alabama or LSU to win the West. I think it's going to be a landslide for Tennessee in the East, but I'm not sure Tennessee will win the East. I'm still leaning toward the Gators a little bit. I think they're going to surprise some people. Uh, and when, to me, when you've lost to a team 11 years in a row, uh, until you beat them, you're going to be the underdog. And I know Tennessee is hosting Florida. They could have easily won the last two. But here's the thing. I think uh, Matt, Coach Mack is going to have a better offense in year two because he's going to have a better quarterback that fits what he wants to do in Luke Del Rio, very intelligent. You know, his tools may not be off the charts physically, 
uh, but he's a very good passer of the football. He lit it up in the spring. They've got enough talent led by Jalen Tabor returning on the defensive side of the ball. And remember this name, Mark Thompson. He's about a 235, 240-pound running back from the junior college ranks. And I just really think, Thomas, he has a chance to have a, an impact and be, maybe be uh, more productive than Kelvin Taylor. And I just think the Gators, you got, you got Antonio Callaway back from the suspension. He had a good year as a freshman wide receiver. Uh, and they, Coach McElwain knows how to use the tight ends. Uh, defensively, they've still got enough talent left over from the Will Muschamp, uh, you know, era there. And I just think the Gators. You're, I was even told by a great friend of mine on my radio show this morning, Brent Beard. He said, "Don't sleep on the Gators," and I'm not going to. I think right now that's probably who I'm going to pick in the East. I'm not going to go along with everybody else with Tennessee, though. I, I think Tennessee has the most talent they've had in over a decade. But you know, Butch Jones, they still have had that issue in big games and they're uh, not finishing. And they're going to, we'll see what happens. They should get off to a quick start, but they've got a really tough four game stretch in the middle of their season. Yeah. And I think you're something you should, I agree with is I don't think Butch Jones can coach his way out of a paper bag in terms of <laughs> game time decisions. I mean, the, the next time that Butch Jones uses a timeout properly will be the first time. I mean, it, it was unbelievable, like particularly last season. You're absolutely right that Tennessee should have beaten Florida, like a fourth and forever into a long touchdown pass to lose the game. And then you look at Oklahoma. Tennessee had Oklahoma beat, and then Sterling Shepard happened. And really, even you can say that Tennessee put Alabama fans through the ringer. And those were certainly, looking at the finishing standings, those three teams Florida, yeah, they got waxed by a Michigan team after being waxed by an Alabama. But, you know, Alabama and Oklahoma were college football playoff squads. Now, you can argue whether Oklahoma deserved to be there, and I'm not interested in making that argument. But still, you know, and Alabama was the national champion. So Tennessee certainly has the talent. I can see the coaching thing. I was going to bring up Georgia as another group, but Georgia, golly, you know, you're pulling for them because of Kirby Smart being there coaching the Bulldogs, a long-time Bama guy, da-da-da-da-da. I don't need to give him any introductions. But Nick Chubb, that's a question mark. You know, How far is he long from destroying his knee? And then this past week, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb's five-star backup, breaks his arm in an ATV incident. So now you've got questions at running back, you've got questions at quarterback, and you've got a new coach. Now, to Mark Rick's credit, the cupboard's not bare in Athens. But there are a lot of variables there, but Georgia could put it together for one game. And as Murph told me, our friend Murph Baldwin, because I thought Georgia was going to beat the snot out of Tennessee last year, mm-hmm. that game's always close, and it's coming to Athens this year. So you know, that, that, I think, looking at their Georgia schedule, that's going to be their first, you know, Kirby Smart's first big football game. A big home game. Let me pull up their schedule. I'm pulling it up right now. Because I know they have... Oh, well, this website's just painful. Okay, so the Georgia Athletics website is awful, and I would never do that again. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It, their, their first big home game is Tennessee. Because they go North Carolina... Well, North Carolina in the Georgia Dome, Nichols State, at Missouri, at Ole Miss, Tennessee. That's their first five. Yeah, ab- and so absolutely. That, that that that's tough right there. No question about it. 
But Tennessee I mean, hitting them in a weird spot. That's all, that was my point. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I, what, I, what I was going to say is they do they they have some tough games uh, early for Georgia. And I I think really when you th- take into account the injuries in the backfield and the freshman quarterback who could be playing Jake Beeson, uh, that North Carolina opener is very dangerous uh, yes. for Georgia because they have an experienced team. They do. Uh, uh, they will be breaking in a new quarterback, but Gene Chizik is a good defensive coordinator. And then, as you said, uh, they've got a tough stretch. You got Ole Miss, Tennessee, South Carolina, uh, all in a row. And it's not, and Will Muschamp, his team will play better defense. And then uh, you've got the Gators coming off an off week. You get two weeks to prepare for them. Uh, but I really think that the last part of their schedule uh, lightens up. Georgia could still get, uh, make a solid bowl game. But I know you said something about. Uh, rooting for Kirby Smart. He did some great things for Alabama, and I was uh, uh, happy to see what he did for the program, but now that he's at Georgia, he's the enemy. Okay, so, that's you know, I wish them some luck in a way, but, you know, I, I honestly, my favorite, uh, I'm a Jim McElwain guy. I want to see what uh, he can, what Kirby can do against Coach Mack in Jacksonville on the neutral field. Uh, the Gators have owned the dogs lately, and uh, I know a couple years ago, uh, they'd uh, that uh, Jeremy Pruitt got a lot of heat uh, because of a performance where Florida just could not uh, just ran the, the football down their throats. But you know, over the, the 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 last 20 years of that rivalry with Steve Spurrier there for most of it, uh, Florida has had Georgia's number. So I'm going to be interested to see uh, what Kirby Smart can do in that rivalry. That'll certainly that'll certainly be an interesting thing. And let me let me preface my rooting for Kirby Smart. I'm rooting oh, for Kirby Smart as, lo- as, lo- as long as it doesn't interfere with Alabama. If he's going head up for Nick Saban with a recruit, <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. Kirby, you- you're taking second place. If, if you're playing, if he's playing Nick Saban, uh, thanks, Kirby. You're now making a paycheck from someone else. Deuces. So, so that that's as far as my rooting for. It's much. It's kind of like I'm rooting for Jim McElwain, but if you trifle with Alabama, I'm just like, dude, <laughs> no. <laughs> But, no, I see what you're saying, and that's going to be a heck of a rivalry. I mean, if if Kirby Smart can get Georgia to where they don't just vomit all over themselves and lose one game every year that they shouldn't, I, that has to be considered a success. Now, do I think Kirby Smart is going to rip off the 10-win seasons that Mark Rick did? Eventually, I think he could get to that point. But I think coming in – Georgia fans' expectations are he's going to be better than Mark Rick in terms of win totals. Let's pump the brakes on that and, you know, see what goes on. But I think, again, Kirby Smart's job is to get the team to not vomit all over itself because there were one or two games a year, and, you know, last year, let's call a spade a spade. It was the world's largest outdoor cocktail party and the Alabama game, particularly the Alabama game. That was comical where Georgia had a big game where they could make a statement and put themselves in position to do some good things, and they didn't just fail. They failed so spectacularly that it was hilarious. Rewatching that Georgia game, it's like – the Georgia-Bama game, excuse me. Rewatching that game, it's just like you got out done everywhere. Like the one good thing they had was a bust in the fourth quarter where Nick Chubb went 74 yards. That was it, that was pretty it. much. I mean, it was Alabama awful. hammered them. Uh, it was. I know a lot of the Georgia fans were trying to forget the blackout, but all it ended up being was the sequel, and yeah. uh, Georgia was crushed in the rain. Except this time, it rained on them, and yep. uh, Alabama proved that uh, they, you know the dynasty was far from over. 
and that they were uh, Coach Saban did an outstanding job motivating the team that week because everyone had said they were done and wouldn't be a factor anymore. It's probably the only time in the last several years that I picked against Alabama. I wasn't sure about the mindset of the team, but you could tell pretty much. The only uh, little hiccup at the beginning of the game, I I know you remember Thomas, Derrick Henry fumbled uh, the football. But other than that, Alabama controlled the tempo. Jake Coker did his best John Parker Wilson impersonation. And uh, as soon as he hit that post to Calvin Calvin Ridley, who had his breakout game from Deerfield Beach, then it was pretty much over. Uh, Calvin had, uh, had, had started to get more and more comfortable, and that was kind of his coming out party. Well, you know, another guy that had a coming out party and is going to play, I think he's going to play huge this year for the defense. Deron Payne took the interior of Georgia's offensive line and just made them look silly. (laughs) He he certainly did. I mean, and we all know what Minka Fitzpatrick did, and he did that pretty much uh, the whole year. He blocked a punt. Uh, he and Eddie Jackson ran back an interception. It, you know, it was a total team win. They they played really well. You know, Reggie Ragland had the hit of the game. It's been replayed over and over again over the middle. Poor Malcolm Mitchell got uh, hung out to dry by Grayson Lambert, who had up to that point played well at the quarterback position, but had not faced anything like that Alabama defense. And it was a rude awakening for the Dogs. He went on to a nine and three season, uh, but uh, just really were never the same. And uh, I think you you and I both uh, could could easily see uh, after how things worked out that was the beginning of the end for Mark Rick. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, we don't. I don't mean to be keeping the hammer in this game, but remember, it was the first time that Alabama wasn't a favorite because it was a it was an even or slight Georgia favorite. You know, yeah. Georgia was it was this the year that Georgia was going to make their statement. You know, as the Alabama dynasty did. There were so there was so much narrative around it. And then the problem for Georgia, or particularly Mark Rick, because this is why I agree with you, when the narrative that everybody wants doesn't pan out, and that didn't pan out by pretty much the start of the second quarter with Alabama starting to romp on Georgia and Georgia throwing interceptions, somebody's got to pay. And lo and behold, Mark Rick paid for it. Now, Mark Rick landed at Miami, which is not a bad job, but eh. Whatever. But, you know, Drew, we did go a little bit far afield. And, again, I want to invite callers, if you're listening live, give us a holler at 714-510-3707. We got bogged down in the SEC East a little bit. and I can buy your, your, uh, your Florida argument with Tennessee. If I were there and if I were picking, I would take Tennessee just on talent. I, 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 I certainly think the Florida-Tennessee game is going to be a classic. I'm looking forward to it. But I'd take Tennessee. But, Looking at the West, you know, back to where we started this conversation, you know, I, I think I agree with you that there's going to be a toss-up between LSU and Alabama winning the West, and I think that's fair. I mean, LSU for the first time in, golly, probably five years, didn't have a mass defection to the NFL, so they got a bunch of returning starters, and they've got a defensive coordinator that is better than what the wet paper sack that Kevin Steele is. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Good luck, Auburn. You could you could jump in the Walmart trash heap and pull out something that's a better defensive coordinator than that guy. But, you know, I digress. It's good to know people, Hillary Clinton. But anyway, we're not going political on BAM's radio tonight. I'm just, just venting. But anyway, going back to Alabama, I'm sorry, Drew, I'm kind of I'm I'm rambling a touch. But what do you expect from the three players, you know, John Allen, uh Buddy Jackson and O. J. Howard and, and what do you expect, you know, from them and from the coach? What do you is, you know, business as usual for SEC Media Days for the Tide? 
Well, yeah, and I, I was just a little bit surprised Reuben Foster wasn't one of the three uh, because I think he'll be one of the four captains uh, at the end of the season. Uh, you know, Eddie Jackson has also made his bones, though, had a very good year at safety, uh, could have gone on to the NFL, came back. Uh, we, he ran back the INT versus Georgia, ran back the INT versus A&M was a ball hawk back there. And I remember saying it on Bam's radio on this show. I felt like his move to safety was kind of what uh, ignited that defense in the spring. You could see it coming last year, and it came in fruition. Uh, he, he made a smooth transition uh, and uh, is going to be, I think, an outstanding safety in the problem in the, in, on the NFL level. And as William said during the show earlier, you know, Eddie was a, considered a great cornerback prospect when he was a freshman three years ago. But he suffered the knee injury in the spring. Came back. It took him about a year to get 100%. Uh, you know, and uh, to feel like himself again. And but when he did, and they moved him to safety, it was like flipping a switch. And I think he's, it's going to be interesting to kind of get his take on what, how where he is mentally, and how if there's been any adjustments to Jeremy Pruitt's scheme and uh, what Jeremy Pruitt uh, you know expects out of him. And then John Allen, he could have left early. Would have, I think, I still think had a good shot at going into the, the first round, if not uh, early second. But I think he has a chance now to uh, assert himself as a senior. Uh, Mel Kuyper has him high on the big, big board. I think he'll be a locked first rounder as long as he stays healthy. Twelve and a half sacks last year, Thomas. Uh, he he's just a bull. I mean, he he's really impressed the NFL people with his all around game. Though he can rush the passer, but he's also physical enough to play inside, play the run. I think he can play in a three- or a four-man front. And, I, 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 and I've and i been hearing he's been kind of taking an alpha dog role during the off-season workout. Hope to get a chance to talk to him about that and what kind of role he's taking on. And then O.J. Howard. We've been uh, you know, screaming for it uh, for a couple of years. When are they ever going to get O.J. Howard the ball down the field? Well, we saw it against Clemson. Uh, they couldn't cover him. They blew some coverages. They were more worried about Alabama's wide receivers. And you see the dynamic athleticism. You see the explosiveness from O.J. Howard. He's a unique tight end. He's never going to be a great inline blocker. But as you see, you can tell in the NFL, there's a lot of flex tight ends now. Uh, that they're, they're more receivers than blockers. And if O.J. Howard can build on that success, in the national championship game, he can become uh, the first uh, uh, tight end under Nick Saban at Alabama to go in round number one and just add to the legacy of uh, positions that Alabama's had a first-rounder because it's getting to the point where it may end up being that the only position that doesn't go in the first round that played for Nick Saban is kicker and punter, and we all know those hardly ever get drafted in the first round. Though, J.K. Scott... Uh, is going to, I think, go pretty high when he uh, finishes his tied career either this year or next. J.K. Scott's going to be an interesting case, and uh, I, I think you will never see a, a kicker or, or a punter go in the first round unless you have Al Davis calling the shot. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, good old Seabass. I've won fantasy football championships on, with him, so I can't, I can't complain. But yeah, he'll, he'll go, and it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I think that. Your, I'll be interested to hear the John Allen if he's the alpha dog. I think he is. Like, you just get that impression from watching. He and uh, Ruben. Yeah, you. Well, it was um, the SEC Network uh, because they're desperate for programming in the summer. They're doing like the the post summer film tour. session thing. Whatever. Yep. Yeah, post summer tour or whatever. And they had John Allen and Dalvin Tomlinson. 
but you know everything starts stacking up when you realize it wasn't just John Allen then it was John Allen leading up to the national championship game you know there was Ashawn Robinson not taking anything away from Ashawn Robinson or, or any of the other guys that have since departed you know Reggie Ragman excuse me but it was John Allen John Allen John Allen so I'll be interested to get confirmation if he's going to become or has is going to continue to become the alpha dog and, and the thing that I don't know if you, you'll get any of the players to talk about this, but I would be interested to hear if there's like a kind of an off-the-cuff comment about Cam Robinson. Not, mm-hmm. not about the legal issues, but as the legal issues relate to the Crimson Tide team on the field. Because if you remember, Drew, during the spring, Cam Robinson was the alpha dog. He was taken over to leading the lineman, da-da-da-da-da. You know, I, can, I can list you a narrative for the rest of the show about how he sees this takeover, you know, big guy. How did the, did the issues, let's just call it the recent unpleasantness in Louisiana, has that, did that affect that at all because he's been dealing with that? You know, I, wanted, that's, I said earlier in the show I wanted to know about team chemistry. That's one of the ones that if I had to microscope, that's one of the ones I really want to see because – you just don't know. You don't know how a group's going to respond to that. Well, you don't, but I, I do think with the culture that's been around and what I heard, at least in the spring, uh, if, and I don't think too much of the dynamic has changed. I think uh, the, the coaching staff was really pleased uh, with the leadership on the team and felt like this team might be even more driven than the one last year, even more focused. And they had a good group to learn from because, as you heard Nick Saban say, Thomas, it was one of his favorite groups to coach. I think it really re-energized him. He felt like they got the most out of their ability that may not have been. He even said, we've, I think we've had teams with more talent, but maybe not that maximized what they could accomplish. And Alabama really did that last year. And hopefully uh, the, the, uh, the uh, returning guys to this year's team will kind of take that torch and run with it. Though uh, there's still only uh, maybe three or four teams in college football that are even close to Alabama's talent level. But I think Alabama and Ohio State are still probably the most talent-laden teams. And I wouldn't trade Alabama's uh, for anything, though I agree with you, Florida State's going to be up there as well. Yeah, I, I really I really am going to, just as a totally neutral fan, I'm going to love watching FSU because I think they're going to get nasty, and I think the defense in particular is coming. So and I, I, I'm a defense-first guy. I admit it. But we'll see, and don't sleep on LSU. Again, the fact that you know Trey White and oh, what's Kendall Beckwith and those guys right. are, are back, that's a good team. And, and honestly, Leonard Fournette's in a contract year. Let's call a spade a spade. This is Leonard Fournette's contract year. So if there's a little extra juice because of that, here he comes. He already was up until Alabama shut him down, and then he really laid an egg against Arkansas as well, he was the runaway Heisman winner. I mean, he, he made the Geno Smith throwing like 20 touchdown passes the first four games at West Virginia look like a normal day at the beach because of how much how many yards he put up. So, Well, and I think that D-line will be a year better under Ed Orgeron. I'm a, everyone knows how high I am on Kojo. They're putting together a heck of a defensive line class, too, this year. Um, and I think Dave Aranda, no doubt, is – I saw what he did at Wisconsin. He gave Alabama some trouble. He'll have more talent at LSU. He's an upgrade. I just want to see Brandon Harris and how much he's improved. And Les Miles tweaks his offense, and people I'm talking to don't think he'll do that much. They've got to be able to eventually throw the ball 
against the Alabamas of the world uh, and Floridas uh, to maximize their potential and to and go from ten and two or nine and three to winning an SEC title because uh, you know Les was on the big time hot seat at the end of last year. That's kind of dissipated because LSU got the, made the Dave Aranda hire. They've continued to recruit well. They finished the recruiting class strong this past February and have and got a top six and top five group right now. Uh, it may add a couple more big pieces in the next w- couple of weeks coming off of this opening situation. But it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what happens because if, if Les Miles loses to Alabama for a sixth straight time, the LSU fans, especially considering it would be in Tiger Stadium again, are going to be howling from the rooftops. I, I agree. And honestly, you, you informed me of something because I thought that one of the re- one of the contingencies, one of the things that Les Miles came back for was essentially a, a, a promise or, you know, a wink agreement or whatever you want to call it, that he would at least try and evolve his offense from three yards in a cloud of dust. Well, he didn't make the coordinator change, That's though, true. Thomas. That's true. He brought Cam Cameron back. And, you know, we watched in the spring, watched him uh, throw a little bit. But the reports we've been getting from the Manning Passing Academy were that the two worst QBs there were Cooper Bateman and, uh, and Brandon Harris. And I, I just think Les needs to use the mobility of his QBs more since he seems so hell-bent on uh, signing dual-threat quarterbacks instead of pro styles that would seemingly fit better under his style of offense. But uh, Leonard Fournette, you're right. There, there's going to be nobody have anybody like him. He, he's he's uh, in, in a contract year. He's one of the best players in the country. He's going to be a Heisman candidate. But you can't win it by yourself, at least a championship. You've got to be able to throw the ball well enough and – that's going to be the key for LSU because I think they're going to be uh, improved on defense. And I'm, I, I actually – I know it's going to be on a quote-unquote neutral field, but it's really a Wisconsin home game. But I wouldn't be surprised if LSU was very impressive against Wisconsin. And it could set the table uh, for some future success. And, and you know, and as always, uh, that the Alabama-LSU game will be the Super Bowl again. But the problem with LSU is the last couple of years they just have – they've thrown a lot into the Alabama game and come up short – and it's kind of ruined their season. Oh, certainly. Uh, and no one has benefited more than the Arkansas Razorbacks. <laughs> uh, great point. And they're kind of sneaking around, too. Brett Bielema, they lost so much on offense. Uh, they lost Hunter Henry. I thought the best tight end in college football. Alex Collins decides to move on instead of coming back. Brandon Allen graduated, lost some O-line guys. But, you know, he's, he's, uh, he, he's still building the program uh, in his uh, in his image, and I think Arkansas will be a dangerous team. I, w- I, I wouldn't be surprised if Hugh Freeze uh, ended up with a third straight loss to the Hogs. But Hugh Freeze is a better coach than Nick Saban. He, that just that just can't happen. Yeah, right. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, all I'll say is look at that, look at the trophy case at Ole Miss. It, it's 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 garnering a lot of dust. Uh, Trust me, that, uh, that, that, that Sugar Bowl trophy uh, they got this past year, it's, uh, it's going to be showcased. All the other ones, they probably had to get out, of the, you know, get out of the mothballs because they haven't had too many. Well, at Ole Miss, where, where they're proving, their tro- where trophy cases prove that one is the loneliest number. That should be their well, tagline. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and we will be at SEC Media Days and wrapping it up on uh, next Thursday. We hope to have another action-packed show with you on BAMS Radio. I've enjoyed the show tonight, Thomas. Great job, as always, producing. Sorry we couldn't bring you Chris Kirchner. 
Hopefully we can get them on next week. Had to do a lot of things out there at the opening for SEC Country and Bleacher Report. But look forward to connecting with him later on. But, hey, what a job by Coach Glenn from Deerfield Beach. Great segment. And, of course, you heard from Noah Fondren from uh, Coleman as well, the baseball commit. And William had a great team segment. Still an outstanding two hours of BAMS radio. Feels like uh, 15 minutes. But we hope the listeners have enjoyed it. And uh, we look forward to coming to you next week. After SEC Media Days, and as Thomas said, this is really when football is about to start. So roll tight, everybody, and have a great night. I'm your host, Drew Diamond.